0: This class, we're going to be talking about investing, uh, particularly uh, in a world, in, in our neighborhoods that are ultimately passing away. Um, which leads us to that obvious question why would God care about our love for a world that is passing away? What's the value in loving neighborhoods? Our prayer today is that, uh, that we'll see loving our neighborhoods even though they'll eventually be passing away, as valuable. Because as we do so, we show what God is like. We image Him, and our imaging of God has value. In other words, God cares about how we act as neighbors, because how we neighbor speaks about Him. And so we too should care about it. Uh, so, so what I'm talking about today is uh, what it looks like to find value in glorifying God through loving our neighbors. And uh, friends, finding this value is important because if we don't understand why loving our neighbor has value in God's sight, we really don't have any basis for, finding, uh, for making faithful decisions when it comes to loving our, our neighbors. Um, so we want to spend our time wisely we have a limited amount of time, as we were even talking about before class started, uh, but, but we have a, a limited amount of time, and we want to use that wisely, and so we know that all of our time and everything that we have belongs to God, and we're stewards of that, and so how we decide uh, between spending time sharing the gospel with a neighbor and spending time loving them in some other way, uh, we, we need to consider that and, and decide, you know, what is important and what's most important. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, We actually started talking about this uh, last week, and we talked about how our ultimate aim is to love our neighbors ultimately, right? Um, And that means to see them come to Christ, come to faith in Christ. Uh, But even when our love falls short of what is ultimate, it's still a really good thing. It's not just merely as a support mechanism for evangelism. And we talked about uh, not just loving your neighbors, but even loving your neighborhoods, uh, engaging as a Christian in the structural aspects of our society as well. And so that's what, that's what we're going to take a deeper dive into this week. We introduced that a little bit last week and going to jump in quite a bit deeper into that this week. And so in God's sight Ask ourselves that question: Is there real value in loving your neighbor even if she never warms to the gospel? And on a structural level, is there any real value in things like fixing a sidewalk or helping build up and improve a school, even though that neighborhood itself is not eternal like the neighbors that, that live in it? And so keep those two questions in your mind as as we go through this class, because uh, that's really going to be at the core of what we talk about. What is eternal? What is lasting? And what are the things that we do in investing our, in, in our day-to-day? Uh, how do those go in according with that? And so it's quite clear that if, if we are to share the gospel with a neighbor and they come to faith in Christ, that is worthwhile, right? Uh, but what about investing in your friendship with your neighbor who never warms to the gospel, um, or what about investing in the neighborhood itself, which is passing away? And so that leads us to that question of, of all the things that we do in this life, what will have lasting value? We look at, at the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, or do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where, there we go. Where, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So how do we do that? How do we invest in what will last? Uh, for starters, like I said a minute ago, evangelism kind of goes without saying. That is certainly an investment that will last because in in, in evangelism, we can actually see people go from death to life, eternal death to eternal life. But what about uh, investments of our time elsewhere, like loving our neighbors in other ways, loving even the uh, neighborhood itself? Are those investments of our time that will last? Uh, What about working to build a business in our city, maybe bringing a neighbor a bag of groceries what about giving a smile to someone that you may never even see again right where did those things fit and how do we divide into uh do we divide those things that are spiritual like evangelism or reading the bible things of that nature as lasting and those have value and then everything else is like this is necessary and important to life but really has no eternal importance is that how we we divide that i mean, in that case. If if that were the case, neighboring only matters when it leads to someone coming to know Christ. Or is there more going on there? Is there some more value that that we that we're um, maybe not giving ourselves credit for there? And so that's what we're really going to unpack today. And so as we jump into this, I want to uh, to give a kind of a preface of all the classes that we're going to be teaching. This one is the most theoretical, so to speak, the most philosophical. Um, but what we, what we are talking about today is really kind of like at a foundational level of, of understanding at the, at the root of the theology of our belief in our relationship with God, where, um, how does this apply, and, and how does this really impact eternity, so that as we go through loving our neighbors, loving our neighborhoods, we have the right foundation there. So we, we talked about this last week uh, that we as Christians often have kind of multiple speeds of of importance, and uh, we see things oftentimes as completely important and completely unimportant, and those are kind of the the two thi- two ways that we tend to divide divide work or divide our lives. And so for some, everything gets reduced to evangelism as the only thing that matters. Or even if we don't, and yeah, even if we don't uh, see it that way, oftentimes we we see it that way practically speaking. And uh, and on the other hand, um, Christians see the problem with the reductionist approach that we just mentioned, and they go on the other side, so they don't see things as just black and white. This is ultimately important, and this is not important. But then they they fall to the other error where they start to see everything as the same value. And so we, we look at that and see that uh, as, as an approach that, that grew in the early 1900s, a mindset called post-millennialism. And, and that really is uh, a view that says that, that this world is going to get better and better until Jesus finally comes back which is at the end of that thousand years of peace and prosperity. And it was a good idea, made sense until World War I happened, and then not long after that, World War II came along, and it kind of proved to anybody that was a post-millennialist, it's just not the case, right? And so so today, we would be hard-pressed to find people that would fall into that uh, that view, but today there's an increasing prevalence of an understanding of like what is called transformationalism. Uh, tra- transformationalism transformationalism uh, begins with the idea that as Christians acting as salt and light in this world, we can and should transform society. Now it's true that the gospel working in our lives and working uh, at at the individual level, will have a societal impact and that it will transform society. Um, the, the best example of that probably is with Wilberforce and his life and his impact on the abolition of the slave trade in 1833, where that became illegal. And, uh, and at that time, 800,000 uh, slaves were freed okay, in the coming years after, after that was abolished. But uh, we should praise God for that, yes, but we should, we should realize that, uh, that the extent that we expect the gospel um, to transform society and life shouldn't always be approached in that, in that manner. It's because you can consider even that, uh, even though there was 800,000 slaves freed, about 200 years ago. Now, fast forward to now, and there's an estimated 25 to 80 million slaves in the world today. And so, we can recognize that, yes, that us following Christ and us being neighbors uh, uh, in that way can bring change, but we can't uh, assume that that it's going to continually impact the world because what that could lead to is just a, uh, is that, that we're taking promises that, that are meant for the new heavens and the new earth and applying those to what, what is taking place today because uh, to be sure, Jesus will come and God is going to someday remake this earth when he sets creation free from its bondage as we see in Romans 8.21, that's going to happen and that's going to take place, but we can't apply that to today because that is actually something that will be taking place in the new heavens, and the new earth. Um, so, so let me just connect that back to what, we, what we're looking at uh, in the idea of neighboring. If we fall into that first uh, error, that reductionist view, uh, I'm afraid that we're not going to be good neighbors, right? We'll share the gospel, and that's an incredibly loving thing to do, but we won't find the time for those lower speeds of love, those lower speeds of loving our neighbors that are also important. On the other hand, if we fall into that other error, that post-millennialism or transformationalist view, uh, we're setting ourselves up for a lot of disappointed expectations when we see that this world doesn't improve in the ways that we might feel that it should um, and we might even lose hope and forego sharing the gospel altogether, right? And so how do we get our theology straight so that, that we can love well? And to do that, we need to understand why this world matters in light of eternity and what aspects of this world will last into an eternity. And so um, what we've talked about is, is a couple of uh, eschat- eschatological views and theological views that, uh, that really are important at that foundational level uh, because what we believe about the end times and what we believe about eternity, what, how we believe God values our here and now and eternal values plays into the way that we love our neighbors today. And so what we're going to look at is kind of the idea of continuity versus discontinuity between this present world and the world that's to come. So that's where we're going to kind of look at over the next little bit. Um, In in order to figure that out, um, sorry, in the Bible there are passages that suggest continuity between this world and the next, and there are passages that suggest discontinuity. And so that is uh, that some passages describe aspects of this creation as lasting, and other passages speak of this world being destroyed. So how do we really understand the, the difference between those two? And that's what we're going to look at here. Um, let's start with some passages, and I've asked some people to read, so if you would, uh, you see those passages in your handout, that, and so you know where, when uh, your verse is coming up. But uh, we're going to read about first some, some of these that, that reference uh, the continuity between this world and the next. And, and Romans 8.20 is a great example. So if you would read that, that would be great. Thanks, Karen. For the creation was
1: subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it in
0: hope. Great. And so that idea of, of being... Oh, could you read the next verse as well? Yes. Freedom of the glory of the children of God. Perfect. Thank you. And so that idea of being set free uh, speaks strongly of, of continuity. Uh, but again, that setting free is not something that we're doing, that's something that God will be doing. Okay? And then let's look at Revelation 21 22.
1: I did not see a temple in the city because the, the Lord God Almighty and
0: the Lamb are its temple. And could you read the next verse as well? The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God is that light and the lamb is its land. Perfect. And so what does that, that last verse talk talk to and refer to? Is that is that the triumphs of earthly society, of art, of government, of uh of our management uh being brought into God's into God's eternal city? Maybe. That's a, a view of, of continuity. And so something else that's valuable to realize is that's not just a New Testament concept either. Uh, there's a heavenly vision in Isaiah 61.4 that speaks of that continuity as well. Somebody has
1: Isaiah 61.4? I have it. Awesome. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations.
0: Awesome. So, so those are a few places in the Bible that hints at the continuity between this world and the next. Uh, but what it does say isn't particularly clear, and it is not particularly frequent in Scripture Um, But on the other hand, there are passages that speak of the present world being destroyed. And these are more clear and more numerous, and we're going to look at some examples of that here as well. So uh, Psalm 102, 25 and 26. So this speaks again of that passing nature of this present creation. Um, and then of course there are Jesus' words about the end of time in Matthew twenty four thirty five. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And so again, that's a, a strong contrast between his permanence and this world's transience, right? And then finally, I uh, want to look at Second Peter three seven and ten. Perfect, thank you. And so this, this might be the heaviest of, of all of those that we just looked at. Uh, Peter's description of the end of the world is, is comparing the scoffing of those today who say God will never come. And just before that, he's referencing uh, back to Noah and referencing those days as well. Even though uh, he was patient in his judgment, there did come a day when his word of judgment came and the whole world perished. And so in that same way, he he is patient today and is coming. And so many, uh, particularly uh, those in the transformationalist uh, leanings, believe that Peter isn't really writing about the end of the world. Fire, they say, can be an image of purification and not just destruction. And the assumption seems to be that if the world really is passing away, our so-called non-spiritual activities— that we've referenced previously, that those have no significance, right? If, if everything that we do is going to burn, why would we spend time working on those sorts of temporal things? And so, but so they would say that Second that Peter 3 can't really be suggesting that this world will be destroyed. And so I, I do want to recognize that Peter's language isn't all about Destruction, it does speak of a judgment of purification like the flood and a judgment uh, that when, when the real value of work will be, will be shown at that, in that judgment. But it also does speak plainly of destruction. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the future is one of destruction, um, not of people, but of everything else. And so, uh, I want us to understand that our work here on this earth does have real and eternal value, um, including the work of loving our neighbors, and that, that there is a fundamental discontinuity between this world and the next. And so, we don't need to manipulate that plain meaning, meaning of Second Peter 3 and other passages like it uh, in order to preserve the significance of, of what we do in this life. For example, um, I think of our own bodies here as an example of this, um, that, that when we die, we realize uh, that our flesh, our bodies really do decay and they will be finished. And yet there is some continuity between our bodies now and in the, in the world uh, of the next. And so uh, we, don't, we don't really take care of our bodies because of the eternal value of our bodies, right? Like today, I didn't eat breakfast for the sake of my eternal body. I, I did that as a steward of what God has given me, and I want to uh, take care of, of what he's, he's given me, right? And so in that same way, uh, even, even if we're to be good neighbors, we have to see that the value, uh, there is value, even despite the fact uh, that, that this world is passing away. And so, uh, what is the lasting value? So uh, we've, we've confirmed that there is value, uh, but, but let's dig into that a little bit further. Um, the, the answer to that question, what is the lasting value of the things we do in this world, that answer has to do with us being image bearers. So we're talking about uh, point four here in your handout now. Uh, think back to... Genesis chapter 1, as God creates, he's assigning value. Remember that he, he creates all of these things and says that it is good. And then when he creates mankind, after that he says it is very good. And so if we look into that, um, why, why does, does he give that extra sense of value after creating Adam and Eve? And it's because of Of what distinguishes us from the rest of creation. And so let's look at Genesis 1 27 and 28 really quick. Um, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. (coughs) Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so the fact that we, we bear Im, uh, God's image is what makes us equal before God. So look at that in verse 27. We are equal before God because we are his image bearers. And so then in, 20, in verse 28, God tells us how to act as those image bearers. And so we image God by filling this world and by ruling over it, filling it, looking at families, relationships, uh, society, and ruling over it, creating order out of that chaos, that, that idea of work that we talked about even earlier as we talked about uh, Tim Keller's book. Um, and so isn't it interesting that, that even if we look at those two things, that tends to be what this world idolizes Uh, relationships and work, and those uh, are what what we see that the world is trying to use to give us value. This world says that you are valuable because of what you do, who you know, and who loves you. The Bible, on the other hand, says you are valuable because of who you are as an image bearer. What you do is important because it shows off who you are, Uh, but ultimately you're valued because of what your your life says about God, not because of your productivity. How hard is that for us to understand? That is something that we all wrestle with, is finding our identity uh, as image bearers of God. So our actions don't make us valuable before God, and yet they are all still valuable in his sight. Why, why is, is it that what we do has value in his sight? Um, is it because of what we are accomplishing for him? No. I would say that he's quite, uh, quite capable of accomplishing so much more than we could ever comprehend or even imagine um, that he could do that without us. He's not waiting for us to accomplish anything for him. The value of our actions is not rooted in what we accomplish, but in what they say about God. And so let's look at that concept and apply it to to what we've talked about during the first half of the class today. Um, Both errors I mentioned, those errors of having too much continuity or too much discontinuity, share a faulty assumption that in order for something to have value, it must accomplish something that lasts, that lasts into eternity, right? So those in that reductionist camp, those that, that would see um, evangelism as important and everything else as not important, um, people that, that focus there would, would focus too much on the discontinuity between this life and the next and, and observe, observe that the only thing that will last is the human soul. And so they act as if, That's the only thing that has value. But when applied to neighboring, that makes neighboring all about evangelism. And if something isn't connected to the gospel and the gospel proclamation, it's just a waste of time. On the other hand, that same faulty assumption is behind that transformationalist thinking. Uh, They rightly recognize that in God's sight, there's value in things like work and building up the neighborhood, but they feel like, for it to have eternal value in God's sight, that too must last into eternity. And so they place a great deal of emphasis on those few things, uh, those few and vague passages that suggest continuity between this world and the next. And so that, that faulty uh, assumption comes when, like the world, we focus too much on Genesis one twenty eight that says what we're to do and not enough on, on being uh, God's, made in God's image in Genesis one twenty seven, And so if we, are, uh, if we see our work and relationships as merely the place where we image God, then the real value of our actions is not so much in what they accomplish, but in what they say about God. And I feel like I've repeated that, self, that to myself over and over and over and over. And yet I still find myself trying to find my identity and finding my worth and my value and what I'm accomplishing and what I'm doing. Uh, But that is not the case. Where we should find our value is who we are created as image bearers before God. And so to summarize, uh, if you're asking yourself that question and, and looking for the answer of why love my neighbor, you need to find value in those actions beyond either strict continuity or discontinuity between this world and the next. Instead, you need to find the value of those actions to be connected to how they glorify God. So how do we glorify God in our day-to-day, even in those actions that seem so temporal? Uh, The love you show your neighbor has lasting value, even if that person never even becomes a Christian. Not because of of, uh, the act of what you are doing, but because of what your love for them says about God, and so, how does your work of neighboring image God? Uh, we'll talk through four four different ways here. First, uh, neighboring is one of one way through your obedience that you show off the work of God in your heart through the gospel. Uh, As one forgiven by Christ, you now have a new desire to live for Christ. And every time that you choose to obey Him, rather than taking the easy way out or taking the selfish way out, your actions demonstrate the power of His forgiveness. And so let's just say, for the sake of an example, uh, that you, on your way home, stop by the grocery store and pick up groceries for your neighbor. Right, You could have spent that money on something personal, uh, but you, you, you invested it uh, in, in an act of faith, in an act of love towards, towards your neighbor. This is an act of faith, right? And this is putting the gospel on display as you love your neighbor. And second, in loving others, you act like Christ and show others what he's like. Assuming your neighbors know you're a Christian, your conduct advertises the truth about who Jesus is. So to quote uh, 1 Peter 2.12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. And so to be clear, we can't accomplish these things we can't love our neighbors into the kingdom. And so we have to consider that there is a level of depravity, a level of sin that's been a- committed against, not us, but against God, that has separated them from God and only a way that God can, can redeem, that only God can act there. Uh, but our right conduct, that love of our neighbor, can be used by God to begin to correct the lies that others have believed about him. Uh, you can probably see this kind of most acutely when you're looking at the way that a parent raises a child in the fear and admonition of the Lord, uh, that as they grow up, they, it shapes that child's perception of who God is. And in a similar way, neighboring is just the same, that over time, you're presenting what God looks like, what Jesus looks like and how the gospel affects your life and can affect theirs. So third, you learn about God as you image him. It's an amazing feeling uh, to mentor a child in your neighborhood, and over the years, uh, through your influence, see him or her choose the path of wisdom. And in that same way, uh, you realize that you are experiencing a God-like pleasure a pleasure that you now understand like you never did before. Uh, by practicing imaging God in this small way, you now know through experience a little bit more about how glorious he is. By practicing imaging God, you'll probably never again read the story of the prodigal son in the same way as you have lived it out in a personal, in a personal way. And so you uh, image God and you learn... Uh, what God is like through the way that you live out the gospel. And then finally, I want want us to look at, um, at how we are imaging God before God himself. And so think about how much fun it is to show your child something that you love. Like I was thinking about this as I was uh, looking at Recently, having taught my five-year-old daughter how to ride a bicycle, right? That is such a joy and fun and freedom, right? And to see her accomplish that was so incredibly exciting. And I got to feel this joy and elation of seeing her accomplish that. And, And in a similar way, I was envisioning something that I've not gotten to experience yet, but looking forward to doing, is introducing our kids to the Rocky Mountains. I don't right? I don't know if you guys have ever made that drive across Kansas, the eternal plain, right? <laughs> and you start to see those mountains growing on the horizon and it and they just I mean it seems like you're d- approaching them for just days, right? I mean you're driving across this flat plain and you just see these mountains continue to grow and as you get closer, your jaw just continues to drop. Because the mountains keep getting bigger and better and greater. And I just, like Amy and I talk about it regularly. We're like, how, when are we going to make this trip with our kids? I cannot wait to take our kids to, to let them see that view and have that grand just experience of driving through these, these mountains that are just so epically enormous that it just kind of blows our minds, right? And so in that same way, that's how God views that, um, that, that he's watching that too in that same way. Um, as, he, as we experience him and get to know him and get excited about him, he's kind of like looking on with that same sort of excitement of, I know, right? Can you believe it? I made that, right? I made this universe. Am I not incredible, Right? God wants us to glory in him, that he wants us to celebrate who he is. And he also rejoices as we experience that, that life and love. And as we grow in our knowledge of who he is, um, he gets excited about it like a parent would get excited about introducing things to their children. And so our rule, as we look at Genesis 1:28, our rule is to represent God's rule. The order that we bring to this creation is supposed to be His order. And God created uh, this world to be ordered in peace and in love. And so when we make that more of a reality in our little corner of the world, as, even as we reflect on our little neighborhoods that we, that we live in, He rejoices in our re- rediscovering of how good His creation really is. When our neighboring affirms God's principles, we show off God's wisdom. And in that, God takes pleasure. And so uh, we've highlighted some ways to image God by loving our neighbors. We've, we've looked at, at putting his glory on display and uh, what that looks like and putting, uh, imaging him in front of our neighbors so that they might see what he's like. We've, we've looked at imaging him to ourselves so that we could become better worshipers of him. And we've uh, looked at imaging him to him as he takes pleasure, as we learn more and, and discover his wisdom. And so I think this has implications both at the level of the individual and at the levels of community. We've talked about uh, being neighbors to our neighbor as individuals and at the, at the structural level within our neighborhoods. And so there's two implications here. As neighbors, uh, we image God through those one-on-one relationships. When we seek to serve rather than to be served like Jesus, we're imaging God, right? How often do we go through our lives trying to figure out how we can get the most out of things? But we, we see that Jesus lived his entire life pouring out, not seeking to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so in that same way, as we live in that same same style, that we are imaging and, and reflecting God himself. And so that's kind of the first thing that comes to our minds as we, as we consider what it looks like to be a neighbor. Uh, but there's a second, when we look at that more structural level, um, that implication that comes out of this, as that many of the ways uh, I've discussed imaging God don't relate to the level of the individual so much as they relate to the ordering of society at large. Um, Individuals are eternal, but societies and neighborhoods and things of that nature are temporal. In the Bible, nations and societies do not last into eternity. They act in this life and they are judged in this life, yet... Uh, We can image God by seeking to order society well, and the value of that imaging is eternal. And so I'm going to repeat that again, just kind of grasp that, that even though the society and the neighborhood might not be eternal, the way that we order it and the way that we love it well does have eternal value because of the way that it glorifies God. And so we don't have to think, you know, I regularly think about that when I'm like, should I mow my yard or should I go do discipling or evangelism, right? It feels like kind of a waste of time, so to speak, when, as I struggle with that transformationalist uh, tendency myself. And I, as I'm thinking, why would I spend time doing this house project when there are people to love or when there's... <laughs> See? Exactly. There's <laughs> eternal value because it creates order. It creates cleanliness. It creates a, a healthier community, right? Taking care of our property is good and valuable eternally. God would say mow my yard too, I'm pretty sure, um, because, because of that, that it, it fulfills and, and creates uh, an image of him to, to myself, to our neighbors, and to him as well. So uh, the last few weeks of this class uh, are all about those two implications, loving at the l- level of the individual and loving at the level of the neighborhood. And um, in all this, what we're really going to be talking about is the idea of love. Love doesn't ask what's in it for me or do I have to, right? Love simply seeks to act as Jesus has acted towards us. As we reflect on 1 Corinthians 5.15, it says, He died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. And may we all love in that way, right? Um, I'm going to, to pray for us, and then we're going to spend some time really diving into some discussion on, on this, this topic that we've discussed this morning. So um, I'll pause here and, and let us just take some time to, to pray. God, we thank you for who you are as we even reflect on the, the glorious creation uh, that, that you have, have made. As we even reflect on something as great as the Rocky Mountains and how glorious it is to be in awe of your creation. And yet even in comparison to the universe, those Rocky Mountains are so tiny and are just such a small part of who you are and of your incredible glory. God, we pray that uh, as we reflect on on those things, that we would understand how how we should consider uh, what is temporal and what is eternal, God that we can rest assured that our imaging of you is eternal, even if it is in work, like mowing our yards that seems so temporal and so so much something that will just go away and that will. Uh, that will burn in the end, that, that my yard isn't the point, uh, but the way that I care for it, the, the heart that I have that reflects who you are, that is what is of most importance, and that is what glorifies you, is, is our hearts and the way that, that we put on display your glory, your character, and the way that you love us, and the way that you love our neighbors and the way that you love our neighborhood and our world. So God, I pray that, that in this season that we would uh, reflect on that, that we would have a, a strong understanding not of, of spending our time as worthwhile or worthless, uh, but that we would just seek to glorify you, that we would love our neighbors as you have loved us, that we would put your glory on display in the way that we care for the, the people and the places around us. God, I pray that we would be intentional with our lives, that we would not waste it, Uh, that we would be struggling uh, not with worthless things, but that we would be struggling with what are the most important things that we can be doing right now, what are these eternal things, but God, that we would not waste our time, that we would not find ourselves in sin or following in that, but that we would uh, pursue you, that we would pursue imaging you before our neighbors, before ourselves, and even before you. God, we pray that, that we would grow in this, that we would grow in maturity, and that we would grow in your likeness. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. How has, has your thinking today uh, been challenged by the principles outlined in this class? We'll start kind of big and broad, and we'll jump in after that. But has, has you, the way that you look at uh, the value of the temporal versus eternal, been challenged today, and how? What was that? Good question. Ten oh five. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, one thing I've thought of is is uh, being intentional about everything I do, even mowing my lawn. So not ignoring my neighbors who are like out in their lawn across the street. Mm. You know, they're there. I mean, they know I know they're there. I'm either (laughs) going to choose to engage with them and say hi and go over and talk with them, or I'm like, i got to get this yard done. Right. Because I've got my things I need to do. You know, so that's just something I thought of. That's huge. Yeah.
1: Yeah, one way that I kind of would sum it up of what we've been talking about today is just that being a neighbor is not just evangelism. I mean it's there's more to it than evangelism, but it's not less than evangelism either, right? So um to me I kinda I struggle at times with kind of finding that balance because I, I feel the pressure of like, okay, we've got to be moving this relationship towards like gospel conversations. Uh, but then also I at other times I fall into the trap of just kind of waiting around, and not, not being intentional to try to take it there. So it's, it's easy to fall off either side of the horse. It's easy to fall into transformationalism uh, or reductionism. Uh, but just uh, just knowing that there, there's so much value in loving your neighbor beyond just evangelism, but also knowing that, you know, like you talked about last week, our ultimate motive is evangelism. Our ultimate motive, if we love our neighbors, is that we want to see them come to Christ and we want to see them um, believe in the gospel. But at the same time, that can't be our ulterior motive. We can't treat people as a means to an end. So um, it's been helpful for me to think about it that way.
2: Evan. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think it, for me, I think it eases the burden of kind of like when you meet neighbors, not having to feel that immediate pressure of like, oh gosh, I have to be ready to share the gospel in like 30 seconds here because like I met them and now like the time is now. Because um, Emily and I just moved into our new apartment complex and uh, we just kind of were like, all right, we're just going to do it. It's been like a month. We're going to make some cookies and just go like knock on our neighbor's doors nice. and just get to know them and get to like meet them, find out what their names are. and So we went and knocked on the first door, no answer. Like, okay, so moved we on to the second door, no answer. So go we to the third one, the last door, and finally someone answered. Yeah. Um, and so we got to know uh, our neighbors, Taryn and her husband Shri. Um, and so we we're like, "Hey, that's awesome!" Just gave them the cookies and went back. And then just yesterday, um, uh, she came back and she knocked on our door and was like, "Hey, just wanted to come by and like say thanks for the cookies. And uh, you know, like I'm making some banana bread and I'm going to come by and bring you guys some." Uh, and we were like, "Man, that's really cool." So we were like, "We definitely need to go to the neighboring class it's to figure working. out what to do next." Uh, <laughs> um, but it does. I think it just like eases that burden of like okay, yeah, I don't, I don't need to be panicking of like, okay, in the next 72 hours, I have to have them over for dinner, and I have to get the gospel like, to them. You know, it's like we can just get to know them, and we can just build that relationship of like, exchanging goodies. So
0: that's good. That's huge. Get excited about the next couple classes. Next week, Sam's going to be teaching on a lot more of those types of practical things.
1: So. Yeah, and I, I was going to throw that in because just to reiterate something you said at the beginning, uh, these first two classes in particular today was intensely philosophical yes. and theological and laying, I think, a necessary foundation for all of that. Uh, but just to reiterate, the whole class is not going to be about that. The, the next four weeks are going to be very practical. So um, right. so hang in there with us. Yeah. Who else? Or do you have another question?
0: Yeah, I'll ask a second question. Um, how do you struggle to find your value as an image bearer of God over other things like work, family, productivity, etc.? Emily? Oh, no. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I, I was like, right here. <laughs> yeah, I get you. The Achiever.
3: We live on a cul-de-sac with I don't know six eight houses and several of the, several of our neighbors are retired. and so uh, I'll see them um, in a more, much more relaxed uh, environment than I find myself. <laughs> because, uh, right. you know, um, visiting, sitting in lawn chairs in in the yard and um, it's hard for me to be intentional and stop, give up some of the time I have away from work mm. to, I have a hard time getting down to that level right now yes. where I can just, you know, we had a little neighborhood get together. We didn't, we didn't uh, uh, start it. Our Mormon neighbors did, and we went, and I was having trouble coming down to, you know, just enjoying the moment Mm -hmm. and visiting. I was like, okay, have we been here long enough? Okay, okay. Uh, You know, so that's a struggle for me.
0: Yeah. The need to feel productive over the ability to just have a conversation, yeah.
4: Two quick things. The first off of the second question, Um, I think understanding divine interruption is a really important part Mm -hmm. of all things, especially I can understand the having trouble coming down when you're looking at everybody relaxing. I'm like, there are 8 million things I need to do in this moment. And then when I'm in the bathroom and my son knocks, he's like, the neighbor's knocking on the door. She needs you to come over. And I come over and she's like, I need some, I need some counseling. I'm like, okay. So there goes go. the next two hours. Like I came back later, my kids are like, "Where have you been?" Mm-hmm. I'm like talking to the neighbor. She needed some counseling, <laughs> and just recognizing that those are divine appointments that God sets in our lives, particular purposes. Mm-hmm. And then going back to part one, uh, your I mean, or question one. It's just recognizing that when we love other people, uh, the goal should always be with sharing Christ in mind. Mm. Um, But recognizing that when we pray for opportunity and the door does not open for that, they recognize that sometimes it's that um, Paul planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. We don't know who else God may be uh, using in that person's life. But if we hold ourselves out to be those who say, I am a Christian, I represent Christ, that when they come across another Christian who truly represents the character of Christ, they can put those two together rather than these two things don't look the same. You know, when they say, you're a Christian, you're a Christian, but those two things look different. Mm -hmm. But when they meet us and meet maybe somebody else we know nothing about and then God can use that as well. And I think that's the thing I always have to keep in mind. of I'm just one part of the puzzle God's using in that other person's life. And my goal is to be faithful, and when the door is there to open it, that I do not shy from giving the gospel. But sometimes it's just demonstrating Christ-like behavior before them as well. I think of that a lot in my workplace.
0: So good. That's great. I have found that, like, a
1: lot of people, blow a door mm then I found God dropping other people that maybe me not live, you know, close to me, in my lap. And yeah. you know, those are, so it's not necessarily the person down the street, next door. Yeah, it's really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good point. We talked about this last time, but the uh, just culturally, it's a really a challenge to be a neighbor, maybe not in every single neighborhood, but I think in ours for sure. I mean, you know, people pull into the neighborhood, the garage door goes up, they pull in, the garage door goes down, and they're in their backyards. Yeah, so everybody's in their backyards, nobody's in the front yard, so, but part of what this is intended to do is to help us think counterculturally. that, I mean, as Christians, we're called to be countercultural. Uh, And this is one of the ways that we can do that is, you know, be an influence in our neighborhoods to foster community and fellowship instead of all this individualistic, you know, just uh, isolationism.
0: Well, guys, uh, thank you again for for bearing with me in in a, a conversation about eschatology. You know, um, eschatology and theology and how, how those play into our day to day lives. Um, I'm excited that we've, we've laid down that foundation, and now I'm really looking forward to Sam talking over the next couple weeks in, in much more practical terms. So, um, yeah, I'll look forward to it, and for now, we'll be dismissed. Thanks.